Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, it's great uh, if you've joined us online. Welcome, welcome. Um, I think first thing I want to say uh, right off the bat is, uh, many of you will know this, some of you won't know this, that probably, I think it's four weeks ago, uh, I took over the helm of now leading this precious family, which is a real honour and a privilege. And um, I've got to say, I mean, I've been a pastor full-time, 10 years. I know it's a spiritual battle, and I'm a man of battle, and I'll go to battle uh, with the enemy and his, his plans. Um, but what I want to commend to you as a church family is please pray for me. Please pray for me. Pray for me, for my family. Pray for the pastors in this church. Like, we are committed to being the best leaders that we possibly can do. But be under no illusion, the enemy is really upset. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to share a little bit about my week this week, and you'll get some understanding of what's been going on. Um, and it's really okay. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not under any illusion that the enemy isn't going to try and come. And of course, we're rattling his cage all the time. You just heard all the great things that's going on through healing on the streets and the ways that God is moving in and through this church family. But please, 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 do pray for us. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say to you was, and I've said this many times in years gone by, is when someone comes to speak here from the front, please feel free to be a bit Pentecostal, yeah? If, you know, like, it really encourages the person that is speaking if you acknowledge something that maybe the Lord says that resonates with you, or, I mean, keep the tomatoes in your handbag, and, uh, you know, don't bring them out. But if you want to encourage the person that is speaking, please feel free to do that. And it is a real blessing and encouragement when you at least acknowledge you know, yes, I'm still awake. And if you shout out, it wakes the person up next to you, all that kind of stuff. It's really, really helpful. So, <laughs> preach it, John, preach it, John. Okay, uh, hopefully you were here last week. Uh, we've moved into a series that we've called 40 Days of Reset. It's loosely based around this book here, a book by David Murray. Uh, and we're trying to answer the question, how do we live a grace-paced life in a burnout culture? And last week, we talked about resetting our lives around grace, grace that, that motivates us, grace that moderates us, and the, the grace of Jesus multiplies growth in us and through us and to those around us. And let me ask the question again today. How do we live a grace-paced life in a burnout culture? Yes, we need to reset our lives, especially at the beginning of the year, I think, around grace, but I also think we need to rethink. And uh, a question that a lot of people wrestle with, I've heard this a lot, both inside the church and outside the church over the years, is can people really change? Can people really have genuine change in their lives? I don't mean just getting better at who they already are, but can someone stop being one way and start being another? More than just taking on kind of an ideology or a philosophy, can somebody have genuine transformation and change in their lives? Can they have transformation in here and in here that works its way out into their lives. Yes, come on. <laughs> For instance, can an angry person discover peace? Can someone who suffers from anxiety find calm in their life? 
Can someone who's always self-obsessed become others-centered? Can someone go from being lazy and apathetic to being industrious and hardworking? <laughs> Is it possible for a dishonest person to live a life of integrity and transparency? Can someone in addiction find a life of freedom and fulfillment? Yes. It's interesting because a lot of people would say a leopard can't change its spots. People would say transformation doesn't really exist. Maybe people can change a little bit, but they can't really completely change. But we know the people that think that are wrong, aren't they? Because we are in the business of change. That's what the church is all about. That's what this church family is all about. And you know what? I know some of you. I know your lives. I know your backgrounds. For some of you, I've had the privilege of helping lead you to Jesus. And I can categorically say you're not the person you used to be. You're not. And as I've shared over the years, many of you know some of my story I spent many years in an active drug addiction, involved in lots of bad things, tormented in my mind, day after day, one thought smashed by the anticipation of the next and the next, in a prison of my own mind, you might say. And I lived in a place of frustration, on the brink of suicide, psychosis, fear, paranoia, skepticism, cynicism, mistrusting, hopelessness. This is where I lived for a long time. But today I'm born again. I have a new heart. I have Jesus in my life. I'm a man of peace, a man of hope, a man of passion about sharing this miracle with others. I'm convinced that Jesus is alive in my life and he has changed me. And it's not just a little bit of change. It's real change, deep change, lasting change, transformational change. Yeah. And that's what the gospel offers because of Jesus, is that we can all experience lifelong lasting change. But lifelong lasting change often doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. It's often a process of discipleship. The Bible calls uh, a, a part of discipleship this sanctification process of us becoming more like Jesus. Having a daily walk of proactivity, of loving the king and being intentional about it. Not just expecting things to happen, although they do. And some people do miraculously get saved and get healed. And they, 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 they're in one way, that they turn and they go another way. And everything is completely different. Often, it's a daily process of following Jesus. Where these bad old habits kind of fall away and new ones begin. And if there's nothing else that you remember from this message this morning, is that change is possible. And that should be super uh, encouraging for all of us. Because as you sit here right now, as I stand here right now, I can think about family members and, and friends. And over the years, honestly, I've sat there and I've gone, can you really change them? <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? I know God's changed my life, but I question sometimes whether he can change some of the people that are closest to me. 
All I want to tell you, he absolutely can. He can. When we come to Jesus, he brings real transformation and renewal in our lives. He can bring reset in us. But I would argue that it all really hinges on our thinking. If you can imagine a a lump of of clay, I think we've got one that's going to come up on the screen. When I see a lump of clay, I just see a lump of clay. That's all that I see. But when a potter sees a lump of clay, they see a plate or a bowl or a vase. I think we've got some pictures of some of those that have come up. Look how beautiful they are. The potter can see what the clay can become. And I think that's how God sees us. He doesn't see a block of clay. He sees what we can become. The question is, how does transformation actually happen? In Paul's writings to the Romans in Romans 12, he talks about how we should become more and more like Jesus. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, this is verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, sometimes we think of worship, don't we, as the 20, 30 minutes uh, as we sing songs together when we gather. And of course, that is part of worship, but worship is way more than that. Worship is how we treat others. Worship is how we deal with the tasks that are put before us. Worship is how we handle our money. Worship is how we handle our family. Worship is how we handle disagreements. Worship worship is how we handle our life day in and day out. The first verse in Romans here is basically saying, let our lives be worship, a living sacrifice as we honor God. Verse two says this, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Other Bible versions say to change the way you think. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. And I love this. The New King James Version says, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. How we think determines how we live. Every action we have starts as a thought. Every habit we have first begins as a thought. And and because of that, the Bible here is reminding us that the way that we think is critically important to how we live. If we have selfish thoughts we are more likely to live a selfish life. But if we have godly thoughts, God-orientated thoughts, we're more likely to live a godly life. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. And he reminds us that transformation is possible, but we need to change our thinking before it works out into our behaviors. And I want to say, 
We need to try and do this stuff in the right order, the right way around. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of people I see are really concerned about trying to change their habits rather than change their heart. See, I think the heart always precedes the habit. Habits always follow heart change. Somebody can can begin to, to deal with their habit, but if their heart is not changed, I've seen it time and time and time again over the years, they always end up back in their old ways of living. Lance often winds me up about this when we talk uh, because I use a term all the time. I've said it before here. It's an old J. John quote, so it's not me. So this isn't me coming up with a very clever slogan. But J. John said years ago, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And I love that. And the thing is, this is why I can't fix all of your issues and you can't fix mine It's my job as an apprentice of Jesus, as a brother to you, as a pastor to you, yes, to support you and for you to support me. Each of us directing one another towards the Holy Spirit, towards the scriptures, and as we submit to him, he's the one that transforms our heart, which changes our mind into right thinking. See, once the heart's been changed and right thinking happens, we always see right living. And you know what? Jesus didn't just save us to get us to live a certain way. He didn't just save us to break our old bad habits. He didn't die to make us better versions of ourselves. He came to earth to give his life, to recreate us in his own image. He wants us to be totally transformed. He doesn't want us to be caught up in the habits of yesterday and the mindsets of the world. He wants us to live according to his his goodness and his abundance and his power and his presence and in order to be completely recreated. I think we must think about what we think about. We need to think about what we think about or in terms of the message, uh, the title of this message, we need to rethink And to rethink and to allow God to work in us, Paul gives us two challenges here in verse 2. The first one is this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In short, he's saying, refuse. Refuse to think like the world thinks. If we're consumed with trying to fit in to the world, we're not going to allow the room that God needs to work in our lives. Because the truth is, the way that God wants us to live doesn't reflect the way the world wants us to live. Paul knows that our thoughts will always determine our actions, so we need to refuse to think like the world thinks. You say, well... How does the world think? Well, the world thinks selfishly. And that selfishness appears, doesn't it, with this kind of hyper-judgmentalism, this criticalness about everything, this intolerance of, of people, of views, of others. The world says, this is all it is. What you see, 
this is it. So do your very best to get as much of it as you possibly can. Take everything that you can. It doesn't matter who you have to step on in order to get it. Just get everything you can and hold it really, really tightly because this is all there is. The world says that our hope and our future is ultimately dependent upon us. That this world and what we make of it is based upon us. The world says that truth is relative. What might uh, be truth for you might not be truth for somebody else. The world says that your circumstances define right and wrong. That's the way the world works. But that's not God's way. Our task as apprentices to Jesus is to learn to identify worldly thinking, which I call stinking thinking, and refuse to allow it to be the norm for us. If you're wondering who's directing your thoughts, the world or God, here's a simple test. If your thinking leads you to despair, it's not from God. If your thinking leads you to fear and worry, it's not from God. If your thinking leads you to embrace anxiety and stress, it's not from God. If your thinking leads you to doubt rather than faith, it's not from God. Paul wants us to understand right thinking always leads to a greater understanding of God's love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his forgiveness, his holiness, his majesty. If your thinking leads you to think more about God or more about that, then you're on the right track. So the first challenge from Paul in Romans uh, 12, 2, is to refuse to think like the world. The second challenge is this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In essence, be determined to think like God thinks. So you ask, how does God think? Good question. <laughs> God's thoughts are higher than ours. God's thoughts are greater than ours. God's thoughts are full of hope. God's thoughts are full of grace and mercy. God's thoughts are about abundant living from a place of joy that comes directly from knowing him. God's thoughts are so much grander than our thoughts. If we can accomplish our thoughts on our own, it's probably not God's thoughts. We need to think spiritual thoughts and too many people try and fix their thoughts on downward stuff, like the junk of life. But Paul urges us in Colossians 3 to think differently. He says this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. The world says everything uh, you see, uh, embrace it. Everything you can get in the natural, in the physical, just get it, take it. And God says, listen, look above supernatural things. Look, to, look above your circumstances. Think my thoughts. Seek me in the midst of your thinking. And the reason that this is also important is because we always live our thoughts first. Every action we have starts from a thought. So think spiritual thoughts, refuse to think like the world thinks. When it comes to our mind and our thinking, 
the Bible says we ought to be thinking in alignment with God. And everything of God is good. God doesn't give us anything that's bad. God doesn't seek to destroy us. He doesn't uh, seek to hurt us. He doesn't seek to mess us up out of spite or out of anger. Everything that God has for us is good. Paul's message here in Romans 12 is about biblical thinking. I would suggest it's about thinking in a way that's in alignment with God. And also I would say that our thinking should be positive rather than negative. The Bible tells us that all good things come from God, that God is good. And in Philippians 4, in the midst of Paul calling a whole load of people to live with joy in the midst of pain, he says in Philippians 4 verse 8, he says this, He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Did you hear anything negative in that list? No. God doesn't want us thinking negative thoughts because as we think, so we live He wants us to live a life that reflects him. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Nowhere does he say, think about negative things, the bad things, the corrupt things, the miserable things, the hopeless things, the futile things. God says to us, Make a conscious choice to think differently. And when we do, our lives begin to reflect his goodness. I long for all of us here at Coastline to think positively, to think about God's abundance and goodness, to think about his forgiveness and his promises to us, to think about his love for us, to think about all that he has done for us, Think about the great things that he has accomplished in us and will accomplish through us. About his blessings and his benefits and his favor that comes from living with him. I long for all of us to think positive thoughts. And practically, to think positive thoughts, we must root ourselves in his word. The last thing I'd like to say is we need to think hope-filled thoughts. The Bible talks a lot about hope. Now, some of you might be sitting here today and say, look, I'd love to think hope-filled thoughts, but John, you don't know my situation. You don't know where I'm at right, right now. You don't know the challenges that I face in my job, the stress that exists in my family. You don't know the health issues that I'm facing at the moment. You don't know how I've been wronged by somebody. You don't know my background. You don't know my story. So for you to say, think hope-filled thoughts, it's just crazy, even a bit mean. I get it. Let me briefly share with you some of my week so that you understand that I understand Okay? And also that I'm just you, right? I'm just human like you. I experience the same things as you. So on Wednesday this week, we find out 
that my son has got COVID again. This is the second time that he's had COVID. He had COVID in, in October. He's fine, but he's just annoyed because he is isolating and he can't come out. Don't worry, I've done the lateral flow. I'm all right, so is the rest of the family. Jess, you're all sitting there going, oh no. <laughs> um, but this is the problem because it was Alice's birthday yesterday. So we had all these plans, these amazing plans for our family and all that stuff. All that obviously had to go out the window. That was on Wednesday. On Thursday, we as a family have had some really serious sad news. And I can't talk about that right now, but it's, it's affected us. It's, it's difficult life stuff. And then on Friday, I was going to a pastor's meeting, a vineyard pastor's meeting in, um, where was I going? Whiteley. And I was involved in a major incident on the A31 where I tried to help save a man's life and he died in front of me. But Paul here in Romans 8.28 says it doesn't matter what our circumstances, we can still find truth and trust in God and still be hope-filled. I mean that. And of course, I've been in a really traumatic thing on Friday. And what a blessing it was to be able to pray in that situation. What a blessing it was that God sent me to be there. I mean, he nearly run me over, (laughs) this guy. So there was also a bit of craziness going on there. But um, the fact that I got to pray, the fact I've I've been able to reach out to some of the other people that were involved in this, uh, the fact I'm going to meet with some of them, because they are for sure way more traumatized about what they saw than, than I am. But what a privilege that I can be in that situation and still know hope when all seems hopeless. See, Paul really gives us permission to be permanently optimistic and hope-filled in all situations. And Romans 8.28 says this, it says, And we know. That in all things, God works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He tells us here that whatever happens, God can use everything for our good and for his glory. There's nothing that God can't use. Even things that are incredibly painful, he can turn around and bring goodness and hope. And as I said last week, it was, it was full on. I don't fully understand why everything happens the way that it did, the way that it does. I don't understand why pain comes the way that it does to so many of us. The reality is that God can take our greatest pain and he can turn it into our greatest strength. God can take what, what hurts and he can bring hope from it. Put it this way. We don't always understand the how, but we can still trust the who. God can be trusted even when life seems tough. I'll end with this. God was speaking to people in extremely tough, uh, an extremely tough point in history in Jeremiah's day. And uh, Jeremiah is talking to the people and he says this in Jeremiah 1, uh, 29.1. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. The truth is, if we're having a hard time, we must fill our minds 
with hope. We must. Well, what does that really look like for each of us? I don't know what your habits are. I don't know some of the ways in which you habitually are doing things that take your eyes off of Jesus. But what I want to say is, in my life, one of the greatest strengths the Lord has given me is here. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. It's the truth. From the day that I got saved, I was in a process of discipleship about learning God's word, not listening to the stinking thinking, not being immersed and sucked into the vortex of despair that often is life without Jesus, but actually standing on the word of God time and time and time again. And I would say to you, I would commend to you, learn your Bible Learn your Bible. What would that look like for you in the next few coming weeks to to, to really start to study and to learn verses of the Bible? There's an amazing app that I was given a number of years years ago called Memverse, which again is an app if you like using a phone. It will help you to learn scripture. But maybe there's some of you here that actually you just need to get an accountability partner within this church family and say, do you know what? I want to be committed to learning a verse a week, one Bible verse a week. I don't think that's that difficult. I think we could all do that from even some of the youngest in the church right through to the oldest. I think we all have the ability to do that. So let me commend that to you. Get into your Bible. Learn the word of God. It will help you stay away from the stinking thinking and to be positive. But maybe there are other things that are going on in your life that takes your eyes away from Jesus and puts you in that place of negative thinking. Maybe it's because you spend too much time on social media. Maybe you're spending your life perving, in a sense, over other people's lives and what's going on for them, and it basically clogs your mind up and takes your eyes off of Jesus. Well, maybe you need to get accountable about that. Maybe you need to talk to someone about that. Maybe we need to, maybe you need to stop doing it for a while and maybe learn some of the Bible and see what God might do in that. I want us all to get to a place where every single day we're a people who ponder the goodness of God. And I'm just aware that there's so many things vending for our attention. Even the news recently is just, I've stopped reading it as often. I heard someone say years ago, you know, every day you should basically read the Bible and the news. I think I disagree now. I'd rather just read the Bible. I'd rather just not focus on some of that stuff that is going on because it has the, has the uh, opportunity for the enemy to get in there and to mess with my mind. So look, this is an opportunity for all of us to reset our thinking at the beginning of this year, to be a people that are, be, uh, that are committed to living hope-filled lives, to get rid of the neg- negative thoughts. And um, I'll just end with this. Maybe there are some of you here today who you know as I'm talking, know that you go around similar patterns of thinking and then you act according, which leads you away from God. I want to commend to you, maybe you need to go a step further. Maybe you actually need some counseling. Maybe you need some psychotherapy. Maybe you need a professional to help you to understand some of the deep stuff 
And I'm a real advocate for the speaking therapies because as I said, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And in all the years that I have uh, been following Jesus, I've always been in a process of honest accountability, of counseling, and of trying to get to the heart of the matter. And sometimes it takes other people to help take you through a systematic process where you can see that stuff. If that's you, come and talk to one of the staff team. There are some amazing counselors in this church family who would love to support and help you towards right thinking, hope-filled thinking, joy thinking, and propel you into a new season of living for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.